I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Zavik, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, we're going to be talking about forests. Why? Well, just wait a second. Because, first up, we've got shout-outs. That's right, shout-outs to the cool kids. Maggie, Angie, Anthony, Chuck, Dan, Daniel, Dill, Edgar, Laura, 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 Jeff, Juliana, Kat, Matt, Todd, and Elijah. Plus, I got one more shout-out to Jen. Jen, I love your stories. You're awesome. Keep them coming. For as little as a dollar a month, you too can become a patron. That's right, a dollar a month, you're going to get access to different episodes, new episodes, videos, contests, like we have one going on right now. If you want to know a little bit more about that contest, you can head on over to Instagram or Facebook, because I just posted a little teaser about the contest. Next up, I'm getting so many cool stories and having so many great chats with all you cool fans, and virtually all of you have said the same thing. What's your email address? Where can I send stuff to you? So, I now have an email address just for Paranormal Almanac. Just for you guys, just for you paramaniacs to send me ghost stories, sleep paralysis stories, UFO stories, whatever stories you guys want. And it's pretty simple to remember. Paranormal Almanac at gmail.com that's right paranormal almanac at gmail.com alrighty let's keep this podcast a moving next up we have paranormal news an elementary school teacher is coming forward years later with a photo of an unusual sighting near Laredo he believes shows a UFO Marcelino Castillo of San Antonio Texas said that he decided to finally share the photo on Facebook after cleaning out his photo drive Now, in the picture, and again, it's on Facebook and on Instagram right now, in the picture, a sunrise 30 minutes north of Laredo is shown with a strange rectangular object hovering in the sky. To me, it looks like a yellow minus, but I don't know what it is. Now, Castillo said he held off on sharing the photo with anyone for fear they would think he was, quote, crazy. He says, with all the technology and photoshopping people do nowadays, I've been skeptical about sightings like these, but when it happens to you, bam, suddenly it's not so far-fetched. So, again, head on over to Facebook and Instagram to see the picture and let me know what you guys think. I don't know what to make of this one. It doesn't look like he left the shutter open, so it's not like it's a airplane or even a bug or an orb or anything, any kind of light source. It's really an interesting one. I don't know what to think, so what do you guys think? Okay, next up we have a ghost sighting, and this one's on board the USS Lexington. A recent visitor took pictures of what he believes was a ghost while he was visiting the USS Lexington Museum this weekend. That man's name is Will Smith. No, not that Will Smith. A different Will Smith. He says in the background when we were looking at the pictures when we got back to the condo, it looks pretty much exactly like a soldier. So, it looks pretty much exactly like a soldier. Interesting description. He says it was a silhouette. Smith and his family live in Louisiana, and because his father served aboard the Lexington during World War II, he wanted to see the ship that he had heard about all his life. He didn't expect to actually see a ghost in his family photos, though. That was like something that was there. There was something on the glass, he said. Or maybe like a vapor or something that was making the reflection. Or there was something behind it. There's nothing there that's a clear figure. Now, that's what he said. Now, I've taken a look at the photo. I'll put it up on both Facebook and Instagram. And I'll be honest, it's not a great photo to try and debunk or prove an existence of a ghost. It looks like the shadow of a soldier. It really does. It just looks like there was somebody in the picture. He didn't notice that they were in the picture when he was taking it. And it's just a reflection of that person. But if he says no one else was around there, it does. It is interesting, if that is the case. 
Now, I will say that I've had a similar experience when I was on the Queen Mary, which, if you guys don't know, is very haunted ship. It's in Long Beach, California. I was on the Queen Mary, and I was doing a self-guided ghost hunting tour. Now, on the ship, they have sections that are cordoned off, like, with uh, plexiglass as, you know, kind of a thing like, this is what the ship looked like back in the day kind of a thing. So I walked up. I was looking through the plexiglass at, I believe, the captain's quarters. But anyhow, I was, so I was looking at the, I was looking at the captain's quarters or whatever it was that I was looking at through the plexiglass, and I was just kind of staring there for a while. I love old woodwork like that, so I was really checking it out. And I saw the reflection of someone standing, like, kind of behind me, off to the side a little bit. I went, oh, I'm sorry, let me get out of your way. And I went to turn around to apologize, and there was nobody there. So I quickly looked at the plexiglass again, and there was no one in the reflection. If I had taken a photo, if, and that's a big if, if I had taken a photo at that time, I have a feeling it would look very similar to what this guy is referring to. He would just took a photo, and there's the reflection. But again, he didn't turn around. He didn't notice it. I doubt he turned around right at that exact moment, so who's to say there was nobody behind him? But still, it's kind of an interesting picture. So so let's get back to the story. So Will sent some of his pictures to Lexington officials, and Channel 3 News asked those who worked aboard the ship what they thought of the report. One of the tour guides, Bill Miller, said, Mostly they're unaccounted for voices or footsteps or doors closing, you know, the normal. Very seldom do we get a sighting. I'm not here to dispute his claim. I believe he feels very valid in his claim. Museum director and formal Naval Air Station Corpus Christi commander Steve Banta said, They investigate reports of strange happenings fairly often. He says, They got separated from their tour group and they're down below and a very nice gentleman in period costume helped them find their way back onto the route. And the thing is, we don't have volunteers in the area that are wearing period costumes. So, I'm not sure who the they are that he's talking about. I have a feeling he just meant some group of people. But still, very interesting story. Two different people that work aboard the Lexington that had paranormal experiences. And here's something else that's kind of interesting. Smith's father, who served as a radio man aboard the Lexington, died this past November. Smith said a ghost their tour guide mentioned had a connection to his dad. He says the main ghost they talk about, his name is Charlie on the ship. My dad's name was Charlie, Will Smith said. He said he was very comforted after this experience, too. He says, seeing that my dad just passed away and served on the Lexington, that would have been pretty awesome if that was him. So, a couple of really neat stories. Once again, that photo will go up on Facebook and on Instagram. Let me know what you guys think. Okay, now let's get to the good stuff. Haunted forests. See, not just regular old forests. But I will say, I don't know about you, but... Every forest seems haunted and scary as hell to me. Whenever I go camping or hiking through woods, I always feel like something's about to pop out and scare me. But these next two forest stories you're about to hear, they aren't just creepy, they're terrifying. Both have a ton of eyewitness tales and stories, so let's get right into this. The first one is a forest so haunted, it's called the Bermuda Triangle of Romania. And as you guys know from previous episodes, everything is either the Roswell or something, or the Bermuda Triangle or something, so let's add this one to the list of Bermuda Triangles of Forests, or Bermuda Triangle of Romania. First, let's talk about how to say the name. There are two different pronunciations online. The Hoya Bachu, or the Hoya Basiu but the Hoya Bachu seems to be the most prevalent, so I'm going to use that for this episode. That's right, I'm talking about the Hoya Bachu forest, and it's located near Cluj, Napuca, in Romania, and covers an area of over 250 hectares, 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 or three kilometers. Now, let's pause right there to say I think I nailed the pronunciations on this one. Not only did I say Hoya Bachu, but I also said Cluj Napuca in Romania. So give me some credit and uh, get off my back on some of the bad pronunciations I've done in the past. Anyhow, so it's a big forest, despite what some really ill-informed websites claim. When I was doing research for this one, 
and there is a lot out there, there are a bunch of websites that say it is a tiny little square of a forest. That isn't true. Three kilometers is a decent-sized forest, especially out in the middle of nowhere in Romania. So, you know what? You guys can go to Google Earth and type in H-O-I-A-B-A-C-I-U, that's Hoya Bachu, and check it out for yourself. It's a fairly good-sized forest. It's definitely big enough to get lost in, and that's important. And not only can you get lost in it, it's also known as the world's most haunted forest, and for a good reason. But I will say both of the ones on tonight's episode say that they're world's most haunted forest, so it's known as one of the world's most haunted forests. How's that? And for good reason, too. There are reports of ghost sightings, and a lot of them. I mean a shit ton of ghosts. And that's the worst kind of ghosts. The shit ton of ghosts, those are the worst ones. Paranormal apparitions, witches or coven activity, orbs, and, and a lot of them. 99.9% of the photos of orbs I found from Hoya Bachu are dust. So, I'm not getting all happy and giddy about orbs. But, there are people disappearing and then reappearing coming out of the forest years later. Faces, things, ghosts appearing in photographs that weren't visible with the naked eye. Tons of EVPs and mysterious shadows. And even UFO activity. So... Of course it's known as the Bermuda Triangle of Forest, because listen to that list. Because just look at that little list that I just read off to you about things that are spotted in this forest. It is a catch-all of paranormal activity. But, as spooky as it is, in recent years, a biking park has been added to the forest, along with areas for other sports such as paintball, airsoft, and archery. The reason I bring this up is just about every website that talks about this forest says the locals never enter the forest. They know better. The locals are terrified the locals are terrified of the forest. Those that do enter the forest never come back out. Well, that is just blatantly untrue unless they just decided to build a biking park paintball area, airsoft area, and archery area, and nobody's using them, which I highly doubt. It sounds to me like people use this forest on a fairly regular basis. The other thing I gotta say is, this one is a tough one to investigate, because there are so many legends and urban myths about this area, it is seriously hard to distinguish fact from fiction, even more so than previous episode topics. Usually I can kind of filter out the BS pretty quick and get down to what can be verified, what is reported on by verifiable sources, eyewitness accounts. But on this one, this one really is a hodgepodge of just about everything. I don't know what's true. I don't know what's not true. So, appear to be true. I'm going out on a limb and saying appear to be true instead of I know for 100% these are true. One, the trees are bizarre. That is true. If you look at photos of the forest, these trees are weird. They have unexplained char marks on the branches and the stumps, although that could be from the dozens of visitors looking for paranormal activity. You're going to get some vandals as well. So I don't know what to think about that, but the trees do grow outwards and then upward at an angle, and there are no high winds or regular growth reasons for this. So that part is true. They, the trees clearly grow oddly, and there's no obvious reason as to why they're growing the way they are. Next up, there's a spot in the forest, the most haunted spot in the forest, if you will. And it's called the Clearing or the Poyana Rotunda. Now, it's real. You can see it. You can see it in videos. You can see it on Google Earth. This clearing exists. That part is true. And again, supposedly it's the epicenter of paranormal activity, but here's where the BS kind of comes in. Here's where the BS kind of comes in, though. It said that nothing has ever grown there. Well, well, again, you can watch all of the videos and investigations. You can see all the photos. 
There's stuff growing there. There's grass, there's flowers, there's weeds. Stuff is growing there. I think what they mean is there are no trees growing there. And I don't know about ever either. That's a bold statement to say that there has never been anything ever growing in the clearing. The next thing is it is not perfectly circular like some fake photos show. You go to certain websites and they have a perfect circle like a flying saucer perfect circle, and they call it the clearing. Well, that's not true. It is sort of circular, and it's not dead center of the forest either, like some other websites say. It's off to the side. Again, you can see it on Google Earth. It is semi-circular shape-ish. And again, there are weeds, there are other things growing. They're just not trees. Now, one of the stories for why there's a clearing there is that flying saucers landed and created the clearing. Okay, let's think about that one for a second. So what they're saying is they landed on top of the trees and what, melted them into a clearing? Or was it like the the flying saucer went above them and then like laser blasted all the trees? It doesn't make any sense. Point is, it doesn't make any sense. People are looking for reasons why something is the way it is when it just might be a meadow meadows kind of look like that. They kind of look like clearings in a forest. So sometimes they just happen. Not everything needs to be paranormal. Don't worry. There's going to be some paranormal stuff in a minute. You don't need the clearing to be a flying saucer landing site. Now, another theory is it was the site of a peasant village that was all but wiped out during a brutal massacre in the 13th century. Yet there is no evidence of this anywhere on the internet. And I mean anywhere, nor in the local libraries online. To me, it, again, just looks like a normal meadow. Big deal. They just happen. It was the site of a peasant village that was all but wiped out during a brutal massacre in the 13th century. Yet there is no evidence of this anywhere on the internet. And I mean anywhere, nor in the local libraries online. To me, it, again, just looks like a normal meadow. Big deal. They just happen. One other odd thing that appears to be true, though, is about it being geomagnetically anomalous. I found dozens of stories from people experiencing really odd events with their compasses in the forest. Also, electronic devices do seem to malfunction in the forest. There are a ton of stories like this. Like other paranormal locations, for some reason... Batteries drain quickly for no reason, or devices shut down only to start working again as soon as the people leave the forest. Now, there are a ton of stories like this, ton of eyewitnesses. There's video where all of a sudden a camera or light or infrared camera will just shut off or stop working or partially stop working, or you can watch the battery drain. So those stories do appear to be true for whatever reason. The forest, and especially the clearing, is a geomagnetically anomalous zone. So that's that's pretty interesting. Okay, with all of that said, let's get into the forest. Let's get into these stories. They are endless. They are incredible. Let me start by saying, investigations constantly experience things they can't quite explain. But as far as my usual take of debunking this one, it is nearly impossible to debunk. Except for the little things I've just debunked a minute ago, like the clearing, perfectly circular, that kind of stuff. So this episode is going to be more about the fantastic experiences. And with that, let me just pause my usual debunkiness and let's just talk about a bizarre location. And for me, the first time I ever heard about this place was on a great show called Destination Truth. It was season three, episode one. If you don't know the show, Josh Gates has a couple of new shows now, but back then he had a show called Destination Truth. And he'd go out and investigate the Yeti, this forest, sprites. I mean, he he was doing paranormal investigations, in my opinion, the right way. The scientific way. The way to try and debunk stuff. Now, again, with all reality shows, who knows what's real and what's not. But for my money, this one seemed pretty damn real. It seemed really hard to fake. And if they did fake this stuff, it was the little things like they had them you know, dub over a line or reshoot a scene because they the cameraman wasn't pointed at Josh, but nothing that was pertinent to the investigation itself. So anyhow, that being said, 
And I and I know I get no money from this. I get no money from saying this. I'm not getting in, I'm not in, being endorsed like Josh Gates is not sponsoring this week's episode by any stretch of the imagination. It's just that good of an episode. If you have the chance, go to Amazon Prime and rent this episode. Once again, it's season 3, episode 1. It's called like Haunted Forest or something like that. It's like a buck 99. It is really that good. It's the only episode of Destination Truth ever that gave me goosebumps. Okay, so here's here's what they're here's like a recap of it. I still think you should watch it, even if I tell you this. So spoilers now. If you're gonna watch it and you don't want to be spoiled, just skip ahead 30 seconds. It'll be real quick. But a cameraman is sitting in the clearing. He's cross-legged. He's wearing a camera backpack that kind of comes up and over so they can get like a real close-up of his face. There are also two night vision cameras on him, one on the left, one on the right. So he's sitting there cross-legged by himself, middle of the night. And he starts to hear things over his shoulders coming from the woods behind him or the woods all around him because he's kind of close to the edge of the woods, but he's still in the clearing. They have it clear as day on camera. They're watching him from base camp, which is just a little far, a little distance away, not too far. So they're watching him. Again, he's a grown man sitting cross-legged. Next thing you know, he goes like, whoa! His right arm flies up in the air behind him and he disappears from the camera. In like a quarter of a frame of the camera, poof, he's gone. So they all, they're all watching the monitor. They're like, what the hell? They all go running after him. They get to him and he's five, six, seven feet behind where he was sitting. He's on the ground, discombobulated, and he has deep scratch marks on his arm under his coat. He's wearing a parka. He's wearing a parka that kind of like goes up to like his thumb, like wraps around his thumb so it wouldn't come up. But he's got some deep scratches, and he's completely messed up. You can tell that he's just like, what the hell just happened? They go back, they show it again two or three or four times, and there's no possible way for a grown man to go from cross-legged to throwing himself back the way that this happens in a quarter of a frame. Again, Season 3, Episode 1, Destination Truth. It is one of the scariest things I've ever seen. And they had other invest- They had other things that happened during the investigation. They heard voices... They saw orbs, they saw lights, they were chasing after lights, they heard giggling. It is very bizarre. This forest, for my money, this forest is haunted just from that episode alone. From that moment on, I knew this place was real, really scary, and I would love to investigate it. Okay, spoiler over. And with that, let's start with the legends. There are no way to prove that are real. Here you go. First up is the most popular story about... Hoya Bachu that I could find. It's about a five-year-old girl who disappeared into the forest, emerging years later, unchanged and in the same clothes. She hadn't aged a day. She couldn't remember what happened in the forest, what was happening in the time that she disappeared, none of that. It's like she walked in and walked right back out, but she just happened to be five years later. It's a cool story. Problem is, I can't find anything. No news stories, no articles, no anything to prove that anyone has ever disappeared in the forest. But damn, this story comes up a lot. Just about every website about this forest talks about this story. Another story about an odd person being spotted coming out of the forest comes from the 90s when the military was training in this area. The story goes that some soldiers were headed to the military base in a car, On their way, they spotted an old man with a staff. The officers leaned out of the car, asked if the old man was feeling well, and the old man replied, yeah, he was fine. The men climbed back into the car, and when they got about 100 meters down the road and looked back, the old man had vanished. Then there's the legend of how the forest actually got its name. A long time ago, no real timeline, just a long time ago, a shepherd went missing inside the forest. A shepherd went inside the forest with 200 sheep. And poof, he vanished. He was never seen again. The sheep were never seen again. That shepherd's name was Hoya Bachu, and ever since then, the forest has been named after the shepherd. Well, I can't find anything official to say that's why they named the forest Hoya Bachu. I have no idea what Hoya Bachu means in Romanian. Maybe it means disappearing shepherd. I don't know. Point is, I couldn't find anything to prove that story either. 
Now, there are a lot of stories of people gathering from around the world to try and open up a portal. I can tell you this one is true. Visitors constantly come here to perform magic rituals, seances, to use Ouija boards, and just try to contact the other side. This one is very easy to prove is true because if you look at Flickr or Photo Bucket or Facebook pages, there are tons of photos of people doing rituals in the clearing in Hoya Bachu. Here's another one. Some so-called guardian angels are said to exist in the forest. Now, these entities are normally invisible to the naked eye, but can be captured by the camera and the shape of human figures. Okay, well, here's the thing. It's mentioned on a ton of websites. They all mention the guardian angels and how amazing it is that there's guardian angels in this supposedly evilly haunted forest. But none of them say why they're guardian angels. They never mention who or how they're protecting anyone. So I'm calling bullshit on the guardian angels. Sorry, bullshit on this one. The whole paranormal part of the forest seemed to start in the late 1960s. A man named Alexander Suft, who was a biologist, went out on a mission to study the magnetism and light phenomena that were previously reported. So stories about this forest and these light phenomenon have been going on since the 60s at least. Now it's said that he took several photos of a flying disc-shaped object in the sky right above the forest. Here's the problem. I don't want to say the problem. Here is the issue with this one, though. In 1993, Suf died, but within a few days after his death, most of the photographs he collected went missing and were never recovered. And I gotta say, there aren't a ton of photos... There aren't a ton of his photos online, so I can kind of buy that one. But anyhow, continuing on. On August 18th, 1968, a military technician named Emil Barnia captured a famous photograph of a flying saucer over the forest. Now, this seemed to spark a bunch of paranormal investigations in the forest. This seemed to be the catalyst that made everybody go, Oh my God, this is a paranormal forest. And that's when all the visitors started to besiege the forest. And that's not the only one. UFOs and the haunted forest became a thing because in the 1970s, there were a number of UFOs spotted and a bunch of photos taken of those UFOs. The area seemed to be like a hotbed of UFO sightings and unexplained lights. And in fact, in 2002, two Clues residents who lived on the top floor of a building on the outskirts of the neighborhood Manistur... Well, they filmed a UFO for 27 seconds. Now, it looks like a cigar with a supposed length of about 50 meters. And the UFO rose and went across the sky until it went into a mass of clouds and disappeared. So even without it being the reason for the clearing, there does seem to be a lot of UFOs in this general area. Okay, let's move on from UFOs to more stories from what people experience when they're actually deep in the forest. This is one of the creepiest ones because I wouldn't want to hear this when I'm deep into a forest that I know is haunted. There are many accounts of shrill giggling of females coming from just outside your sight, just coming from just outside your view in the forest. They'll come from the left, then all of a sudden they'll be on the right. They'll be right behind you as you're walking. When you try to go and investigate them, the giggling stops. And it's not just like the wind is whistling through the trees. It really sounds like giggling. In fact, Destination Truth, that episode, at the end of it, they play a little EVP snippet, and it sounds like a female giggling. But there are independent reports apart from Destination Truth that talk about this experience, these experiences, I should say, because a lot of people are having them, of females giggling in the distance in the trees just around you. Now, another thing that I wouldn't want to have happen to me if I'm investigating this forest is that there are a lot of stories of people getting scratched when no one else is around. Their backs, their arms, their legs, their chest are scratched. Now, sure, people are walking through forests. You're going to get scratched. You're going to get hit by branches. If you're walking through a dense forest, you're going to get hit by branches. But those are mostly on your hands or your face, anything exposed. A lot of these appear to be from underneath clothing. A lot of these scratches appear to come up out of nowhere from underneath clothing. Another odd tale that's pretty common 
is there are a lot of reports of a heavy black fog appearing from nowhere and just obscuring your entire view while you're in the forest. Now, there's also several stories of people entering the forest and experiencing missing time. Some have been known to be missing for quite some time with no recollection of how they spent that time, whereas others, it's more like the missing time that happens with a UFO abduction or a UFO spotting, or a UFO encounter, I should say. It's all of a sudden, two hours later, or 20 minutes later, or... Your watch is stopped. There's a lot of stories like that in this forest. It just might be that geomagnetic anomaly, but something's happening to time when people go into that forest. Now let's move on to the most common phenomena, and that is the sudden appearance of mysterious orbs of light. And I gotta say, it is a very, very common tale, but I will also say you get a bunch of people that have never done a paranormal investigation before. They don't know the difference between a camera flash on dust and an orb. I personally think I do know the difference. I've seen an orb, and I've seen camera dust. I've seen dust in just a dusty place. you got to remember, these people are out in the forest, so they're already scared. It's a haunted forest, so they're even more scared. Then they go to take a bunch of pictures with their camera at night and there's a flash and all of a sudden it and all of a sudden it lights up dust particles. Of course they're going to freak out and say they saw a bunch of orbs. It's kind of built in. Especially if you do any investigation about this forest and you hear, "Oh, there's a ton of orbs out there." So when you take a photo and you see an orb-like object, it's already been implanted, you're going, "Oh my god, I got an orb. I saw an orb." So Again, it's a common tale. There's a ton of stories online. There's a ton of stories online about it, but take that one with a grain of salt. There's other stories of people hearing disembodied female voices, not the giggling, but actual conversations. Now, it's again coming from the distance deep in the forest, and you can't quite make out what these females are saying. They always sound like females. They sound like they're having some kind of conversation, but you can't quite make it out. Is it in Romanian? Whatever. We don't know because no one appears to be able to figure out what they're saying. Now, this next one kind of worries me if I ever do want to go and do an investigation because it sounds like radiation sickness to me. Because there have been a ton of reports of people developing unexplained rashes, suddenly falling ill after entering the forest, complaining of physical harm, including rashes, nausea, vomiting, migraines, burns, scratches, anxiety, and other unusual sensations. Again, to me, it sounds like radiation sickness. Because if you hear about people that go to Chernobyl or Fukushima, they get almost all of those, especially if they stay there for any extended period of time. I do know that people have brought Geiger counters to the forest, and they do move, but they don't move in a way that, like, Fukushima or Chernobyl would move. There does seem to be some kind of activity, but it's not that blatant, you're going to die kind of radiation activity. So I don't know what to make of that one. And again, lastly, the, the main one that I am calling bullshit on is that the locals will never go into the forest. Obviously, that's not true. There are a ton of photos. There are a ton of locals that do tours in the forest, besides the ones that are playing paintball and biking around the forest. There are a ton of locals that do tours in the forest, and I can't blame them. It seems like this bizarre forest, this little forest in Romania, has become a tourist destination for a small town. And because of that, the stories probably get embellished just a little bit, and some are just frankly made up. But I do think, like all good scary tales, I think there's a kernel of truth to these stories. I went into this episode going, I saw Destination Truth, This story is true. Forest is 100% haunted. As far as I'm concerned, do I believe it's haunted? Yup. Do I believe half of the stories that supposedly happen in this forest? Nope. Do I hate 99% of the websites that are regurgitating bullshit about this forest? Yep, that's a good, that's another yep. Check that one off. Yep, on that one too. But again... I do believe that there is something about this forest. There is something out there or something in it. And again, if I had the opportunity, I guarantee you 
I would 100% go and investigate this forest. Alrighty, from there let's go on to another haunted forest. And this one has a good reason for being haunted. It's called Aokigahara, Aokigahara, also known as the Sea of Trees, but most widely known as the Suicide Forest. It is a 30 square kilometer forest on the northwestern flank of Japan's Mount Fuji. So it's a big forest. It's big, and more importantly, it's incredibly dense. And if you couldn't guess by that last nickname, the Suicide Forest, well, it's the world's second most popular place to commit suicide. Does anybody know what the first most popular place to commit suicide is? Say your guesses now. If you guessed Golden Gate Bridge, you're correct. But coming in just behind the Golden Gate Bridge, which I thought was kind of odd because I didn't realize that many people had killed themselves on the Golden Gate Bridge. So I tell you what I'm going to do. This is a first for Paranormal Almanac. While I'm recording, okay, Google, how many suicides on the Golden Gate Bridge? According to CBS News, Casey Brooks is one of nearly 1,700 suicides on the bridge since its opening in 1938. Last year, 39 people jumped from the bridge. Alrighty, so in case you guys didn't hear that, nearly 1,700 suicides on the Golden Gate Bridge. Alright, I, I, I take it back. That one does... The Suicide Forest is the second most popular place to commit suicide. So let's talk about what we know about this forest. Like I said, it's incredibly dense. I'm going to say that a few times. It's so dense, in fact that people routinely get lost in the forest and are never seen again. Now, this one, unlike the other forest, this one is verifiable. People have been known to wander into the forest and just never come back out. It's a very common occurrence here. Now, let me pause right here and say, if you couldn't tell by the nickname, The Suicide Forest, this next story is a very sad one, so if it's trigger warning for you, I apologize Maybe skip to the next episode. Um, but if not, there are some paranormal things. I'd love to start with some specific statistics on the forest suicide rates. But unlike the Golden Gate Bridge one, they vary greatly and for good reasons. One is because the forest is so lush, some corpses can go undiscovered for years, if ever. There is just no way to know how many bodies the forest has reclaimed. Some estimates online claim as many as 100 people a year have successfully killed themselves there, but unfortunately that number seems low because there are volunteers who patrol the area trying to stop people from going into the forest to commit suicide, and these same workers routinely go into the forest to recover human remains. Both police and volunteers go through the Sea of Trees to bring back bodies to civilization for a proper burial and it is not an easy task, because as I've said a few times, the forest is so dense that volunteers and police have to use tape and ribbons, looping them around the trees as they go deeper and deeper into the forest so they can find their way back out. But more on that later. Okay, let's get back to the stats. The Japanese government has declined to release the number of corpses recovered from these searches, but in the early 2000s, 70 to 100 were uncovered each year, and because of a recent rise in bankruptcies and other financial situations, every site agrees that the numbers are rising year after year. How many people have died and are still somewhere in the forest is unknown. It is 100% unknown, but it's a huge number. It is one that, in my opinion, rivals the Golden Gate Bridge. Okay, so we know that the forest is real. We know it's big and... We know it's dense because I keep talking about it, and it's filled with the bodies of people that have committed suicide. So let's take a step back and get into the history of this place. Now, it seems to have started or increased the suicide rates because of the novel by Seicho or Seiko Matsumoto, and it's called The Sea of Trees. The novel is called Sea of Trees, and it tells the story of a woman who has a love affair with a young public prosecutor. He is blackmailed by the woman's husband, 
and the only escape for the lovers is a double suicide inside the dark and mysterious forest. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, there is another book called The Complete Suicide Manual, which calls Aokigahara the perfect place to die. Both books have been found among the abandoned possessions of various suicide forest visitors, and both books have been found on the dead bodies they found in the forest. Now, what's even weirder is the more research I did on this, it seems like that's not why the forest is known as Suicide Forest, at least not initially. Because there's even older tales of something called Ubasut, U-B-A-S-U-T-E, which is a form of euthanasia that translates roughly to abandoning the old woman. Now, it's not a common practice, but it did occur. In desperate times of famine, a family would lessen the amount of mouths to feed by leading an elderly relative to a mountain or similarly remote and rough environment to die. Not by means of suicide, but just leaving them out there to die. We're talking dehydration, starvation, or exposure. Now, I can't find anything to confirm that this is real, but it doesn't appear to be an urban legend. Many people swear it's true, and it does happen. And with everything about this forest, it does seem like the government is trying to control or guard its secrets the best that it can. So it would not surprise me at all that this Ubasut is real and has been happening for a very, very long time. Okay, so it sounds like a really creepy place to go and die or or a creepier place to go and take a hike or even a creepier place to go and have a picnic. But why is this one on this episode? Well, many people and eyewitnesses believe the ghosts or Yuri of those abandoned by an Ubasut and also those that have committed suicide in the woods are very active in this forest. I am talking very active. People have heard the screams of the Yure, and there are dozens of stories of police and paranormal investigators seeing spirits, flat out seeing a ghost as they're wandering through this dense woods trying not to get lost themselves. They hear them, and there's one particular story that is very intriguing. It's of one of those volunteers that are going to look for the bodies. Now, this volunteer was walking through the woods, and followed the screams of a yure, which led straight to a badly decomposed body. As soon as they found the body, the screaming stopped. Hikers have said that the forest is so dense that it's almost completely silent, and because of this, cries can be heard from long distances. Now, whether they're yuri cries or just the cries of people committing suicide, no one knows. Now, these stories of the ghosts tormenting people are one thing, but there's also tales of people hearing the screams, following them, only to get lost in the woods forever. And apparently a lot of these stories. Now, that's a great story, but how exactly were these stories told? If the people were never seen again, who's telling this story? So, take that one with a grain of salt. One volunteer said her tape was cut deep in the woods while she was out searching for bodies. She was going for kilometers in different directions. She was looping her ribbon or her tape around trees as she was going so she could find her way back. And as she was walking back, after she found a body, so she's already found a body, she's in creepy woods, already found a dead body. As she was walking back, her tape was cut. She said she never saw anyone alive and doesn't know who cut it, but she did say she barely made it out, and that was the last time she went in. Another terrifying tale is of a police officer following a ghost through the woods, and he spotted a ghost. He saw it. He's following this person. He thought it was just a person. He said there was something odd about them, but he was following through the woods when he finally came upon a body hanging from the tree. Now, the body was moving and twitching, so he ran up to cut the obviously alive person that's hanging themselves. He, he went to cut them down. But when he got nearer, the body stopped moving and he was shocked to see that it was badly decomposed and had a broken neck. The body had been hanging there for some time and he couldn't think of any rational reason for why it was twitching and moving as he was walking up to it. 
And that's not the only tale like this either. Another volunteer saw someone by a tent deep in the woods. This person was leaning against a tree but moving around. So when the volunteer walked up to kind of talk them out of suicide, the volunteer was shocked to see that the body had been dead for, quote, a very long time. Thankfully, some people do actually make it out of the forest, though. In an interview with Japan Times, Hideo Watanabe, I think that's how you say his name, I apologize, who owns a shop at the entrance of the forest, revealed that he's seen numerous people exiting the forest after failing to kill themselves. And here's one of those stories. He says, She had tried to hang herself and failed. She had part of the rope around her neck, and her eyes were almost popping out of their sockets. I took her inside, made her some tea, and called an ambulance. One Buddhist monk named Kiyomio Fukiu, Fuki, Fukiu, Fuki, named Kiyomo Fukiu, that seems like a racist joke, Fukiu, Fukuyi, all right, his name is Kiyomio, and his last name is F-U-K-U-I. Well, he was visiting the forest to set up an altar when he told the New Zealand Herald, the spirits are calling people here to kill themselves. The spirits of the people who've committed suicide before want more people to do it. Many visitors claim that they've seen numerous misty apparitions, misty apparitions, that's their description, while walking through the forest, both during the daytime and at night. And it's not just apparitions. The amount of disembodied voice stories is insane. Numerous paranormal investigation teams have investigated the forest and have successfully captured strange apparitions and disembodied voices on film. So it's an active place. And if you enjoyed that first episode of Destination Truth, they did do one on this forest too. I don't know the episode number or the season, so you have to find that yourself. From what I remember, it's a good episode, not as good as the Hoya Bachu. But anyhow, so it is an active place. And, and speaking of Hoya Bachu, the suicide forest is rich with magnetic iron, and it too messes with cell phones, GPSs, and even compasses. As you might imagine, this poses huge problems for volunteers and police and paranormal investigators. So if you go for a hike there, don't rely on any technology. Okay, with that being said, let me pause here for a second to say, Hoya Bachu, they do tours there all the time. If you'd like to go take a tour of Hoya Bachu, it seems to be encouraged by the locals, and it seems like a fairly easy place to go and do it. But unlike Hoyabachu, visitors are discouraged from going into this forest, the suicide forest. You can, but it's not recommended. That being said, if you're interested in hiking into the forest, first, you're crazy, but I won't stop you, as long as you promise to come back out. That's my only rule. For all you listeners out there, if you go into the forest, you gotta promise you're coming you gotta promise me you're coming back out. Anyhow, it's located approximately two hours driving time west-southwest from Tokyo. You just take the Fuji-Kyu Fuji Railway to Kawaguchiku train station. Then the retro bus takes you right there. The entrance is in the parking lot of the Lake Sai Bat Cave. Which I gotta say, the Lake Sai or Lake Sai Bat Cave sounds way cooler than going into the suicide forest. So if you do decide to go out there, go to the Bat Cave. That seems cool. That seems way cool. Alrighty, and with that, that is the tale, two tales, I guess, of two haunted forests. Now, I gotta say, there are plenty more haunted forests, too, so I'm gonna be doing a sequel episode to this one. If you like this one, I've got a sequel episode already in the works. I don't know when it's coming out, but I do know where it's coming out. Because if you want to hear the sequel episode, it's going to be a patron-exclusive episode. Sorry, guys, that don't want to pay. This one is for the patrons alone. Okay, with that, what do you guys think? Would you camp in either of these forests? I'll be honest, I would camp in Hoyo Bachu. I would. I think it'd be cool. I think it'd be a fun experience. I don't think the Suicide Forest is that neat of an experience. I would go if I was doing a paranormal investigation show. If Paranormal Almanac was a TV show. And 
God, I hope that comes true because I want this to be a TV show so badly. I have a great idea. It's not going to be some kind of Ghost Adventurers BS show. It's going to be a debunking show, very specific. If you work in Hollywood, if you have the ability to greenlight a TV show, I've got some thoughts. I'd love to meet with you. Email me at paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. My name is Kurt. But anyhow, I would definitely camp in Hoya Bachu. I think it'd be a really interesting investigation and a really fun night. Suicide Forest? Mm, not so fun. But that's just me. What about you guys? Would you guys go to either of the forests? Would you spend the night? Would you go to the Suicide Forest and attempt to find bodies? Because that's a very touchy subject. There was a YouTuber... There was a douchey YouTuber that just got in trouble for going to the forest and recording a bunch of bodies. It's frowned upon, to say the least. But, would you guys do it? Would you guys go and try and find any bodies? Or would you just try and spend the night in the forest like a dare? Tell me what you think. And once again, I need your guys' ghost stories. So if you got some, send them out to me. I've got some great ones coming up. i got some really great sleep paralysis and shadow people stories coming up for you. I just got the green light to go ahead from one of the listeners who I adore listening to her stories. She is bravely facing, in my opinion, she's bravely facing shadow people on a fairly regular basis besides other hauntings. She's got a bunch of stuff going on in her house, and she seems really brave, and she's willing to share her stories. So I think it's fantastic. But if you got the story, send them out to me, paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Yes, yes, yes. Serofano, it will be busy,